George Kritikos here to talk to you about the Player Raider podcast. Along with co-host Ryan McDowell, we leverage the DLF player valuation tools and help inform you on your dynasty roster strategies. Whether you're joining a new startup, rebuilding a team, or maybe you're just not quite at contention level yet, we help you understand player values and how to really drive your team forward as dynasty owners. Tune in and enjoy the show. I knew you never really liked him. You're at the dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. The dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. to the dynasty crossroads welcome in um, thanks for coming back or joining us for the first time my name is peter howard at pa howdy on twitter i'm here with jake anderson at jake anderson ff on twitter newly minted um <laughs> still not quite used to that ff handle jake <laughs> but um yeah welcome back it, the season is about to start everyone's really excited i'm really excited our format doesn't change. Our podcast is meant to be something a little different. And we have tried to slant this first podcast of the year towards the start of the season questions coming up with the player we've chosen to speak about, which Jake is going to tell you about in a minute. But our format is still the same. We talk about one player at a time for 30 minutes a week and from both a film and analytics point of view and try to come to a consensus or have a really fun disagreement. <laughs> one way or the other, um, we still feel like we win anyway. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the crossroads. Jake, want to tell the people who we're talking about? Sure. Yeah, everything is good, man. Uh, just happy to be back talking about a player and the player tonight is going to be james connor obviously his name has been talked about a lot today especially and in the past couple of weeks just because all the Le'Veon bell drama that's going on right now uh levion has come out or his agent has kind of hinted that he might sit out the first 10 weeks and just kind of take those fines as they come and then if he comes back uh, after week 10, he can still he still has his eligibility to become a free agent after this year. So um, James Conner, I think his value is about to skyrocket because if this does happen, he is going to be the starting running back on a very high-powered offense with a lot of good weapons. And he is going to see some, some good looks against defenses because they have to account for Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. And I think James Washington may, might even get a bump in that situation. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about James Conner. I'm excited to talk to him with you, Peter. And uh, do you <laughs> want to get started first? Do you, do you want to have me talk about his tape a little bit? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit. Why not? Just to get it in there, because I know you're going to hog the mic the minute I let you. I'll uh, maybe sneak one in there. No, um, I, th- I think it's a good player to start off with uh, the 2018 season because, well, it does feed into start-sit decisions, but also, hopefully, you know, anyone listening or ourselves have a pretty good idea of which way we're leaning on whether James Conner is a good start or not for week one. Um, but it does kind of, this, this issue does kind of bring into focus the fact that Le'Veon Bell probably won't be on the Steelers next year one way or the other even if he was starting week one and this hadn't happened so it's a backfield we should be looking at 
should be considering if there's anyone on the roster worth investing in in Dynasty or even in Seasonal Leagues or DFS and and taking a long view, or maybe they'll try and draft someone else. For me, it's also interesting because it brings to light the question of whether how good your running back is really matters. If the team is good and the offensive line and the offensive line is good enough, um, well, not bottom five in the league is pretty much my only requirement for an offensive line. Um, so I think that's part of the conversation as well. And I think that's an interesting way to start off the 2018 season after, you know, such large hope and rejuvenation of the running back position in fantasy uh, as a whole. Um, but as far as the player goes, yeah, why don't, why don't you start us off, Jake? What do you see? Um, is he good? Is this someone that you, we should be not happy to see starting over Le'Veon Bell? Because I really do think, I mean, maybe we should start there. I do think that Le'Veon Bell is going to at least miss a little while. Yeah, I think I think you have to be ready to react to certain kind of news at this stage. And uh, it might even seem like an overreaction, but you have to you have to plan for it because it's certainly a possibility. And, and I know play draft where, where we do a bunch of our best balls, um, they allowed people to swap out Bell. So it seems like... Um, He's definitely not going to be playing in week one. And from the talk of it, it sounds like he could be out for quite a while. So um, that brings us to where we're at with with James Conner. And I'm just going to talk about him a little bit, what I've seen on tape. James Conner is a a player I've followed for his whole career at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, He was, when I first started Dynasty, my first Dynasty Debbie League, he's a player that I drafted. so I've followed him since his freshman year. His freshman 2014 tape um, was really, really impressive. And then I, I know everyone knows the story um, about James Conner. He got diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he, he dealt with going through cancer as a young man. And uh, it's probably the best story that's going on the NFL. And I think this whole levy on suspension is really going to bring that out again. I know it was talked about a lot pre-draft last year, but, um, you mean that, um, he's overcome Hodgkin's lymphoma, I believe yes, it was to fight yes, his way into the NFL yes. and get on a roster and now possibly get a starting line. That's just that you're right. That's a great storyline. Yeah. If you can't root for this guy, I don't know who you can. And, um, the, the, I think the most amazing thing is that he was going through chemotherapy and still practicing with his right. team. Which is, and they, I, and didn't they share a practice field with the Steelers? That was one of the big things yes, I remember them yeah, saying. Yeah, and a lot of people thought he was a lot of people thought he was overdrafted because he definitely because of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, the story Home and boy him being, pick. yeah, and and I honestly thought he was uh, drafted a little bit earlier than I thought he would be, just because um, he didn't test at the combine for his his, his agility um, scores. So. Um, people didn't really have all of his numbers there, and he definitely wasn't the same player. <laughs> obviously, um, no, man, no, you're right. Before, <laughs> obviously. You know, after after you know going through that, he wasn't literally he, going through cancer treatment. Yeah, at the time, he right? he wasn't. He you know he didn't have the speed. He didn't have the burst. He didn't have the movement skills that he did. But listen, he came back after that and posted a really really superb season. I think he had over a thousand yards, sixteen touchdowns, like twenty catches. Um, he had a really solid year. It's just like he's not a super flashy guy, but um, I will say just like this preseason and then last year he looked pretty good, but like this preseason when he's gotten the opportunity, he's looked really good. He kind of looks like he's back to his, his freshman college days, which 
which is really exciting for me as a, as a fan of his. But um, just getting back to his tape, he, you know, he, James Conner is a downhill physical kind of runner. He's, he's somebody that li- invites contact and bounces off of it really well. His contact balance is excellent. Um, and the thing, I think the thing that, you know, bigger backs like power backs get kind of sucked into this, this um, narrative that they're just, you know, one dimensional, like they're a first and second down back. James Conner is a guy that can catch the ball for a big back. And the cool thing is this third preseason game, they were using James Conner similar to, similarly to the way that the Steelers were using Le'Veon Bell. They were splitting him out wide. They were putting him in the slot. They were giving him a bunch of screen passes, and he was running slant routes. So um, the the good thing for me is that he has the chance to be a three-down back. He's not just a one and or first and second down back. Um, it, so like those are those kind of his trump cards is that his, he's really physical. Um, really good tackle breaker, um, really strong runner. You know, I think he's got plenty of speed. I, it's not elite speed. Uh, I think it's plenty, but the, the thing that, you know, isn't his strength is he's not going to make a lot of people miss in the open field. That's not where he wins. I would say he has adequate agility, but it's not going to, you know, knock your socks off there. Um, he's not going to probably break a, a, a ton of huge, uh, huge gains. Um, but, just just kind of wrapping up, I'd like to just ask if you have any kind of questions about what I touched about there. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff you bring up there is really interesting. For one thing, you've got these two different sides to James Conner. You've got whether he's valued because of his story versus whether he's valued because of what he's actually done. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like you were saying, there's a cancer survivor and fighter, and you, you can say anything you like about James Conner, but he is clearly a hard-nosed fighter in every aspect of his life to do what he's done. Um, but at the same time, like you were saying about where he was selected, was he selected early because he's a hometown boy going through this epic story? Or was he selected earlier than everyone thought because he showed good traits early? If it wasn't for the story, it would be easier to value him like more than he has been to this point i really do think and because a running back that gets picked earlier than we expect that's usually a good thing but the story almost complicates that you don't know if you can trust it same thing with um, uh, them those good early numbers um are we valuing them more because his numbers later in that one season especially was uh, we were willingly accept that that was affected because of what he had been through. And the same with last year in the NFL as well. Assumptions and also when you're leaning on something that isn't actually factual. You know, it's something that you just want to believe in. I think those are the things we do when we don't know we're doing them. So we don't know how we almost how we can trust our own evaluation. So the f- question I have for you, how much can you know in general about a running back early? Is it more important if you see good things earlier in a college career, or have you seen that it really doesn't matter when you see it, as long as it, as long as you do see it on tape? Yeah, 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 sure. And I, I, I think it's almost like any position that any prospect that you're evaluating that the sooner they produce in college, the more, um, the the better you feel about their player type. You know, if they burst onto the scene their senior of college and haven't really done anything before that. You definitely have some, uh, you have some reservations about that player. So when when any player, let alone running backs, can and can come on as freshman and be a really good player, and it, he wasn't just productive. He had over seventeen hundred yards as a freshman. So right, um, 
he was really, really good. And um, I think it is important that he showed so early and then he he had that on tape and then went through what he went through. Because if he didn't have that tape, his 2014 tape, and maybe he got diagnosed with cancer a year before, you know, during his freshman year, and didn't have that one year of production. Um, not that he wasn't productive afterwards, but he didn't have that, that tape that he had his freshman season. I think he would have been devalued a lot more. So the question is if the Steelers overdrafted him because of the story or maybe because they just really liked his his initial year tape and believed that he would get back to that because obviously he is a fighter and he and he's going to work to get back to where he was. Um yeah, I think it's I think it's excellent. I'm always looking for any player to burst on the scenes in their in their uh, freshman season. All right, we're going to take a short break to get a message from our sponsors. Are you tired of getting crushed by the pros? DFS players and sport bettors, listen up. TheQuanEdge.com has the tools you need to play like a pro. With our lineup optimizer, injury tool, wide receiver cornerback matchups, and the head-to-head tool, you will be armed with everything you need to win. Make up to 150 lineups in seconds, see matchups to exploit, and compare players to help you make the right decisions you're on the fence about at TheQuanEdge.com. You'll get exclusive access to industry experts, articles, podcasts, and the TQE community by participating in the premium membership chat. We at Dynasty Crossroads have a special deal for our loyal listeners. Using promo code CROSSROADS, you get $10 off your first month. Go to thequanedge.com to sign up today. Okay, and welcome back. Yeah, I generally think the earlier a player produces a better, but like I said before, I think I'm, I know I can trust wide receiver numbers better because I can find more consistent trends. With running backs, I'm really not sure. It's good that you're saying that early still matters. Doing it earlier actually matters more, maybe a little bit. Um, like, if we were to take the story out of it, and he still had a bad last two years, would you still feel confident in what you saw before that, to still like him as much as you do now I guess is the other way of saying that if those bad two years um, hadn't been because he was supremely sick and dealing with a major life crisis would the early years still be enough to value him and I'm, what I'm hearing is that yeah yeah, he was good enough early and he was definitely productive early I mean like you were just saying he carried the ball more than Joe Mixon ever did in college mm-hmm. sure and um, I, think that, I think that's kind of a hard question to answer and I think it's a really good question um I think there'd be obviously a lot bigger flags that if he had that that 2014 season and then just kind of pewtered off and then didn't look as athletic, didn't look as explosive, didn't put up the numbers that he did his first year, that would have been more concerning for me because I know um, I remember you know just because I've owned him, I've you know he's been on my roster for several years in that Debbie League that. Um, I was concerned. I mean, he was almost to the point where I, I, I contemplated dropping him um, just because I didn't know if he'd be able to come back from that. I mean, that was that was devastating. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you can't imagine I'm a player sorry. coming back from that. And and just the, no, just the, just the fact that for whatever reason, I held on to him. And I remember it was definitely in my head, yeah. you know, do I cut this guy? Because, you know, we always squeeze our rosters. And um, especially in Debbie Leagues, you're kind of fighting a balance of – you know, who do you keep? Who do you drop? You know, who's worth, you know, waiting around for? And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I hung on to him and I, I just kind of hoped because that 2014 was, tape was that impressive to me where 
it was that good that I had to I had to hold. I think that's exactly what I want to hear. That it was so good that you actually were in you when you had to make decisions about your roster. But roster space is always valuable and always difficult, especially through the off season where you're trying to make claims and then rookie season. I, th- I think that almost means more to me that you did hold that opinion. I think that's where the rubbers meet in the road. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'd say is that's probably true of the Steelers, right? If they overdrafted him because of the story, well, they've really gone pretty far with that. <laughs> they kept him on the roster. They really they brought in Jalen Samuels, but I don't know if they even brought Jalen Samuels in to be competition for that job. And they've gone into this season with concerns over Le'Veon Bell without making any other moves. So if they were just doing it because of a story, they've really stuck to their guns on that narrative so i actually think that's a pretty good uh, sign that it's the player not the story one actual question about the player and as far as numbers go i've got thresholds for production um and it's more difficult to predict whether that production is going to turn into nfl production as far as the position like i said but he does meet all the thresholds before he got sick. And even after, he carried the ball a lot for that team. Mm-hmm. Like he had that year off when he came back, he was still carrying the ball a lot. I actually pulled it up. And in his first year at age 18, he carried the ball 33% of the time for the <laughs> all carries. Then it was 50% at age 19, which is crossing the threshold and the age threshold as well. And, of course, at age 20, it drops to 1.6 because, you know, he had cancer. (laughs) But even when he comes back, he carried the ball 40.9, which is less, but still a significant number of the carries, especially for the guy coming back off cancer. Now, if it wasn't for that illness, I'd be worried that he only produced 36% of the rushing yards on those 40% of carries. But he's got this built-in excuse. And, again, that's where we have to pass out if we how much credit do we give him. And so the the fact that you would definitely convince convinced of what he was doing when he was carrying the ball 50% of the time um, means that I can kind of scrub that out. I'm not so worried about that. I don't... Um, now, the question I do have about his numbers is he really wasn't a receiving back until that w- bad year. Until age 20, after he comes back from cancer, the most he'd ever caught the ball was about uh, 2.7% of the team receptions, which isn't good even for a running back. But when he came back in that year where he's carrying the ball 40% of the time, but only producing 30% of the rushing yards, he actually caught the ball more than he ever had before. He actually had 11%... uh, uh, He actually had 11% of the team's market share or total receptions. So that's actually significant for a running back, which ordinarily would just be great. Uh, That means he's showing receiving ability and route running ability and an understanding of how to play that role in the NFL in college. But I do wonder, just from what you saw, like why wasn't he catching the ball earlier? Not that you'd know that, but in that last year when you were watching him, was he catching the ball like instead of running it sometimes? Or was there anything that you saw that would explain the spike in reception? You know what? I'd... You know what? I'm not exactly sure. I, I think it might even come down to what kind of roster construction they had as far as what other talents were on the field. Um, and Maybe. and I, I kept saying freshman year. I didn't mean to say freshman year. That was his sophomore year in 2014 when he had over 1,700 yards. So right. um, it wasn't it wasn't as a freshman. It was as a sophomore. So uh, sorry about that. But um, that's a good question. And, and honestly, I remember that 2014 season thinking that he was going to be just, you know, a really good runner of the football and not not really involved in the passing game. And that 2016 season, um, which is kind of funny that he got 
you know, obviously less athletic, but then got more utilized in the passing game, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Right. Um, but it was, you know, it was a little bit. He And the thing is, he averaged 14 and a half yards uh, per catch that last year. So, <laughs> yeah, he was good on it. He caught 10% of the team's receiving yards. So he was sick, doing worse at rushing than he's ever done before. And yet suddenly was yeah. this really productive yeah. receiving it, it, weapon it's, for it's strange. Just... And the thing is, uh, you know, you go to 2014, uh, he had five catches. Obviously, 2015, he didn't really play at all. And then 2016, he has 21 receptions. And now you, you transition into the NFL where he had a rookie season, learning the playbook, uh, learning from the best pass-catching running back in the league, arguably outside of maybe David Johnson uh, with Le'Veon Bell. And that's what's so impressive to me and, and really why I, I'm, I'm really turning into a believer, even though I always have been, is where they were playing him this preseason and, and how comfortable they seem to be without Le'Veon. And, and the coaching staff has come out and said how much more comfortable they feel about their running back room than they did last year. Because um, I know James Conner, there's no way he was back to 100% last year. He might not even be back to 100% yet. But the way they were utilizing him in the offense as far as just kind of as a fill-in for Le'Veon and not really changing their offensive schemes was really impressive to me. And Again, it's another vote of confidence from a team that, you know, they might have liked the story yeah. for PR, but as far as on the field goes, they have a lot invested in that. They weren't doing that just because of a story. Another, so, yeah, I like that yeah, vote another of confidence. thing is that they drafted Jalen Samuels, who was kind of, you know, a hybrid tight end, running back, fullback, who's obviously a fantastic receiver. And then... That kind of made me um, take a step back and say, well, you know, even if Le'Veon Bell, because, you know, there's been talk about Le'Veon potentially missing time last year, going into this year. You know, I was like, well, maybe maybe Jalen Samuels kind of takes that receiving role. You know, maybe James, James Conner is that, you know, grinder, which I think that's still his, 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 his strength of his game. But the fact that, Jalen Samuels hasn't been involved with first team really much, and and James Conner has gotten all those receptions this preseason just really sticks out to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back to that 2014 season, I mean, he had 300 attempts, like I said, over 1,700 yards, almost six yards a clip um, per carry, 26 rushing touchdowns, um, which is just absurd. Um, and, I mean, that, that – that season alone is just so impressive um, for a sophomore running back. And, and I can't say that enough. And that's, that's the tape that made me really fall in love with them. My main concern is here that because of the situation right now with Le'Veon Bell and because of the story surrounding him, um, not surrounding him, his life, which is this fantastic thing that I think we all naturally want mm -hmm. to support. Like, I want in mm -hmm. on that train. I want to believe in that kid is that that skews our judgment. It, it's a little convenient to suddenly realize that James Conner's good still, um, right? Uh, and I'm worried about that I'm doing that, but nothing that you're saying is... There seems to be nothing that supports... It is convenient, but sometimes I guess it's okay to do the thing that feels good, right? Sure. The thing that feels good is actually the best value move as well. I, th I honestly think the more I look into his numbers, the more I hear you confirm some of the things I see in them and quell some fears about him as well. I think I've made a mistake with Jalen, <laughs> with um, 
Like, we knew Le'Veon Bell was not long for the Steelers forever. But um, I did know about these good early numbers. I did know he was recovering. I guess it just comes down to, I, I'm not a doctor. I wait till I get told yeah. they're healthy. And it's really this, this preseason, the first time I've heard you and other people saying, hey, this kid looks healthy. Mm-hmm. But I really hadn't turned my attention to it yet. It almost had just started to happen when Le'Veon Bell starts to hold out. And again, it's a convenience factor. But like Kyle from the Dynasty Dummies, he posted uh, earlier today that he's got um, James Conner on all of his rosters except one. Mm -hmm. So I think this is, I'm not saying we, I can't even say this is a community or an ADP failing. I think I just dropped the ball on this one, for my teams at least, that um, I just didn't believe in those numbers because I was just too focused on that. I, I honestly, I believe it was a story that took my took my eye off it, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Well, I I think I think that's that's so funny that you say that because like earlier today I was thinking like as far as what his value is right now. Um, let's say let's just say that Le'Veon misses ten games this year, and let's say next year, what if Pittsburgh doesn't bring in a free agent? You know big name free agent running back. They don't draft anybody in the first few rounds. Um, and James Conner is the lead back in that offense. I mean, what is his value? I mean, for me, it, just judging by what could happen, and we've seen, you know, Tevin Coleman get judged by that for, for years now. Um, for me, I think he's worth a late first, early early second already. Just for the potential of what could happen. So I agree with that. But what I would say to be a wet blanket on this Mm -hmm. is the best thing that can happen right now is Le'Veon comes back in week two. And this kind of dies out. And then having looked at the situation because it drew our eye to it, we know to actually, he's still got that value. We just, you know, personally, I don't mind after all. But I would say... Even though we've undervalued him, I don't want to overvalue him now. I would consider him like a Tevin Coleman, but again, he's an unproven version of Tevin. Tevin Coleman's done enough in the NFL, I can say. And so it's a narrow line to walk. Uh, But I do want to put that caveat in there. Even if Le'Veon Bell is like, all right, I'm going to play, and it drops away a bit, we should maintain interest. And I don't mind giving away picks at all. Sure, trade your picks, I guess. But... um, I do want to keep in mind uh, that he hasn't actually done it in the NFL. Like sure. he looks good right now, but that's preseason. He looks good on tape, but that has that fools us as much as numbers do sometimes sure. in small samples. So he could still it could still be a flash in the pan, even if he got opportunity later and Le'Veon Bell comes back now to hide him again. Um. So I want to keep that in mind. I will say I've been wrong up until now. The buying, there was a huge, this gaping hole of a buying window, and I just wasn't even looking in the right direction for it. So I feel bad about that, but I don't want to overreact to it at the same time. And what what we were talking about before we started recording, and what I talked about on Twitter a little bit earlier, is is these trades that I made, at least right now, definitely seem like an probably an overpay, um, especially in one of them. But... Um, I, th- I think the thing is, sometimes it's okay to, to, to buy high. And if I see that this is a stock that's, you know, was flatlining basically, right? He was like RB61 in the latest ADP. So uh, that's pretty much end of your roster kind of guy. And I see that it's the stock is starting to shoot up. 
um, I'm going to try to buy that stock, even though it's it's more expensive than it was. I'm going to try to buy that stock and maybe even overpay for it because I see the trajectory of that stock and where it could possibly go. Does that make sense? If there's reason to think that it should be going up, then you buy in. Like if Facebook as a stock, just to continue with the, the high-minded metaphor, is going up, you want to do that as soon as possible. You don't want to sell as it's going up when it's going to become worth so much more. So if you believe it's going up for good reason, you buy in as early as possible. And that's what you do. I actually love the trades that you performed. I actually couldn't have been more impressed unless you did it like before Le'Veon Bell was holding out. <laughs> sure, sure. sure. <laughs> that would have been really and, impressive. And I, I, would, I would be, I'd, I'd be more impressed with myself as well. Um, well, the thing is, and... and both of these leagues, I think the format is very important because both of these leagues are points per carry leagues where you get 0.25 per carry. Just as a caveat there, I wanted to get that in. But the first trade I made was in the one dynasty league that I own Le'Veon Bell because I've actually been a proponent of selling him for probably too long now. Um, I was too early to probably want to sell Le'Veon. Um, but that's in Pigs, Scott Fish's Pigs 3 League. That's a four, I think it's four copy. So there's, what, 48 teams. Um, so that's a point per carry, super flex. Um, I traded Kelvin Ridley and a, and a 2019 fourth for James Conner. And the other league is a, is a two copy 24 team. That's Matt Price's red list. That's also super flex, you know, a bunch of flex spots. Um, Case Keenum was my fifth quarterback. You know, I have Cam Newton, I have Phillip Rivers, I have Andy Dalton, I have Case Keenum, and uh, Sam Darnold. So uh, Case Keenum was my fifth quarterback, and I sent him to a quarterback needy team for James Conner, and I felt fantastic about that one. Um, all right, I think that about rounds it off um, for James Conner. Not that there isn't more to say. There's a whole season to write, and we get to watch it next week start to play out. So I'm really excited for that. Good luck to everyone. It's been over a year since I got to start David Johnson anywhere, and that's probably what I'm looking forward to most. Jake, what are you looking forward to most about this season? Oh, everything, everything. I mean, I'm a I'm a Viking I'm a Vikings everything. fan first and <laughs> foremost. Like, I just I like watching my Vikings fantasy. Fantasy kind of takes a backseat on Sundays, and if I can just kind of ignore my my teams, I love watching my players play. I am going to do my best to just enjoy football on Sundays. Okay, so <laughs> Jake's looking forward to everything, and I don't blame him. Um, so thanks for coming to the Dynasty Crossroads just before the season starts. We hope to see you again next week. I've had fun as I always do, and I hope you do too. Thanks very much. See you next week. Bye, <laughs> Traded Kelvin Ridley. Filming analytics Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. Jake gaslighted us as listeners to this podcast. It's the dynasty crossroads where film is everything. Kelvin Ridley's not a guy that I was gonna be starting. Numbers are the key. There may not be consensus, but we'll give you everything. I love twisting your words. Not not a lot of outtakes this week. 
Sorry, we'll try and be worse next week.